Let's turn together to Luke chapter 10. Thanks to the band for, uh, for stewarding that time well with us. Bringing that kind of truth right in front of our faces. Thanks to you for braving the uh, storms to be here. I want to go ahead and warn you that tonight, uh, well if you were here last week or whatever, tonight is like the twin sibling of last week. So if you weren't here, then you'll kind of get a somewhat of an idea, and maybe you can listen to the podcast or whatever. But um, in some ways, I, I think God wants to just keep tilling up some of the same ground that He started last week. I just just didn't get the sense in prepping for this week that He was really through with it. So uh, we're going to look at the story of Mary and Martha that's in Luke chapter ten, and see what God has for us tonight. And there's. I'm going to ask for a little bit of audience participation, which sometimes makes me nervous, but not tonight. Okay, maybe I'm a little nervous, but not like not super, super bad. Um, let's look at verse 38. Let's just look at the, at the story. And this is kind of a case study in anxiety and worry and distraction, uh, in a sense. Let's look at it. It says, verse 38, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village... And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Okay? So, uh, two sisters, uh, very different approach to a situation. And so we're going to kind of use them as a case study. We're going to look at Martha for a little bit and then look at Mary a little bit. So, um, so let's kind of get a, a context here, like what's, what's happening. Jesus is a, you know, a rabbi. And there's just been a lot of good things happening, and so he's kind of becoming a little bit famous. And so, for this great teacher and rabbi to come to your house, you know, pretty probably a pretty big deal. And there could be dozens, there could be a hundred people there, there could be five hundred people there. I mean, who who really knows? But the main thing is that Jesus, the rabbi, is coming to your house. And and so here's Martha as the host and uh, the. The one in charge of all the hospitality and all that kind of stuff. Uh, she's invited him and he said yes. So Jesus is coming to your house, basically. Now we don't know exactly what this means. It says she was distracted with much serving. And then Jesus says you're anxious and troubled about many things. We don't know what those things are. But one of the things about like a narrative like this is we can kind of speculate, just kind of knowing human nature, knowing uh, the nature of hospitality and those kind of things, we can probably guess what are, some of the things are that she's worried about, that she's anxious about, the things that are distracting her. Uh, so just kind of throw, throw some of those possibilities at me. This is the audience participation part. Uh, 
What are some of the things that you think maybe she's flipped out about? Timby. Um, the fact that back then a woman would not sit down and listen to the doctrine of a rabbi because she has no hope whatsoever of being a rabbi. And so her job would have been to serve the people instead of sitting down like one of the men and listening to the rabbi and running out and be a disciple. Okay, very good point. Different day, different age. Lots of gender issues back then, and so there's probably a little bit of that stress that's going on, without, without a doubt. What else? You just, just fire some of them out. I'm, I don't know all your names. I'm sorry. I will by the time we're done, though, so don't worry about it. What, uh, what are some of the other possible anxieties for Martha? Will there be enough food? Absolutely. Absolutely. What else? Is my house clean enough for Jesus? Is my house clean enough for Jesus? Right. We all know he's a neat freak, and, uh, you know... <laughs> Whatever. Uh, what, what else? Where's everybody going to sit? Exactly. Who has a hundred, you know, fold-out chairs? We do here at Grace, so that's good. But he could come here, we'd probably be okay. Uh, what else? What are some of the le- like not the practical stuff? But maybe like the like more more deep things. Uh, I mean, it start, always starts practically. But what are some of the things that maybe lie beneath some of these deals that could also be worrying her? What are people going to think of my house? Ooh, yeah. What are people going to think about my house? All these random people coming in, all these you know followers of Jesus, whatever. What are they going to think of my humble abode? Absolutely. What else? Is what? Yeah, exactly, exactly. What else? Yeah, got him. People, people have to think you're awesome, right? Is he gonna bring the right rack with him? Yeah, who who is coming with him into my home? Uh, Jesus had all kind of followers, so you don't know who's who's about to show up. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. How long are they going to be here? I can't wear my mask because he sees straight through it. Yeah, yeah. He said he can't, uh, I can't wear my mask because he'll see straight, straight through that. Anything else? Anything else you're just dying to yell out in the room? <laughs> this is your chance. This is open. After this, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> All these, all these anxieties and worries and stuff like that that are probably an issue for her, um, all those concerns have something that's, that lie beneath them. And so she, she's distracted, she's anxious, she's worried. Last week we, we talked about this same idea that, that to be distracted is, is essentially to be... Uh, to, be double-minded, you know, that you're divided, your attention, your focus, your aim, like everything is divided. And Jesus actually kind of tells us uh, in Matthew 6, yeah, that, uh, that he says you can't serve God in money, meaning like you, you really can't be divided. Like you think that, that you can, but in actuality you're, you're, you're created to be a single-minded being. And so you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money, but you can't serve both. And so for us to even like 
go with this idea about being divided, we're kind of kidding ourselves, you know, that we can really be divided because we're not we're not really made to be divided. We're made to, made to be have this one focus. And so, for Martha to be distracted with much serving means that she's not focused on Jesus. She's focused on this other stuff. She doesn't have a dual vision. She has a single vision. It's just something that's not him. And she's anxious and she's worried. Now, the thing about anxiety and worry is that, that we, can, we can think of it in, in levels. And that's, and that's kind of what I think that we need to, where we need to take this tonight is that, you know, the initial level are all the things about hospitality that you would think she'd be worried about. But beneath those things, you know, is my house clean enough? What are people, you know, like, where's everybody going to sit? Will there be enough food? You know, those kinds of things. Beneath that, there's, what are people going to think if I run out of food? What, what does that say about me as a host or hostess? What, is it, what does that say in a culture that is incredibly hospitable? What, what does that say about me if you run out of food? What are people going to think? What's my reputation going to be if, it's, if there aren't enough seats or... What are my neighbors going to think when all these hundreds of people show up and, and you know, clutter the streets up or whatever? And, and so, so beneath the practical stuff, there's, there's like, what, are, what, are, the, what are, are those things implying about me as a person? So this is what I'm worried about, but below that you have why am I worried about it? And if we go below that, we're going to find, we're going to find fear every single time. So I'm worried about this stuff, and this is why, but this is really why. Because I'm afraid that people are going to think less of me. I'm afraid of being embarrassed. I'm afraid of failure in this, which actually, one step below that, is coming from a place of some sort of belief. And so if, if we're thinking in terms of levels, you have, what, you have what you're worried about, what you're distracted by. Below that, you have why you're distracted by it. Below that, you have some sort of fear that's happening. And below that fear, you have some sort of belief that, that is like the launch pad for all this stuff. And that may not make a lot of sense, so let me, let me bring it into our context a little bit. Let's say that you're... Let's say that you're a college student, uh, and I know we have a lot of students here, and you start school tomorrow, so good luck with that. Um, let's say that you're a college student, and you're in school, and let's say that you are distracted, you're anxious, you're worried about school and grades, and choosing the right major, and like all the things that would come with being a college student, okay? So that's, that's at that Top level, this is what I'm worried about. This is what has me distracted. This is, this is my singular focus, whether I'm willing to admit it or not. Okay? So below the what, you go to the why. Okay, so why are you worried about that stuff? Well, because you have to do something with your life, right? And uh, so I, I need to, like, go in the direction that I feel like I'm supposed to go. So... You know, for some, it's like, no, God's calling me in this direction. So that's why I'm worried about it, is that this is a part of the call I believe he has on my life. Um, the why behind it, uh, some of it is like, well, I, you know, I have a scholarship or whatever. I need to like, be able to keep that. And some of it is, well, like my parents just have a lot of pressure on me to like, do well and 
to be whatever. And another side of it is like, well, you never know where the economy's going, so I'm trying to like, uh, like graduate so I can get a job so that I can like, you know, have the life that I've always wanted. And you're like, oh, okay, now we're now we're getting somewhere. That's the why for a lot of us is, well, this is the pathway to the American dream, right? So I'm I'm worried about this because. Because, because I want my life to look a certain way when I'm a grown-up, all right? Uh, so you go, you go from the what to the why, and then you go down, okay, well, there's a, there are fears in there. What are your fears? Well, you're afraid that your life isn't going to turn out like you want it to. You're afraid that your parents are going to be disappointed in you. You're afraid that the people you went to high school with and whatever are going to think you're like a loser or something. Um, you're afraid that, that you're going to dive into an economy that is in the tank and you won't be able to survive and you won't be able to to know what to do and you know whatever and and you're just you're worried 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 because you're afraid and you're afraid go one step down you're afraid because you believe that that reflects something about who you are that's the belief the belief is that your grades, your major, your success, like what, all that, the whole trajectory of your life, that speaks to who you are and your identity. From that belief launches all kinds of fears that those things won't take place. And from those fears come all kinds of reasons for you to flip out about your grades. That's how it works. So the launch point is, is you're believing something about what grades and school and all that kind of stuff, the role that it plays in your life. And that leads to fear into worry and anxiety and doubt and all these kind of other things. And that is why you are distracted and divided and completely obsessed with school. Now, I could, we could go through a number of different examples, and I listed like 10 of them. I was like, man, I'm going to have no friends if I go through this because we're, like, we're all, like, we all struggle with this, this thing that at the core of us, we're believing some false things. That's leading us to flip out about stuff that God never intended for us to flip out about. Martha, at, like, at the base of all of this, has some belief that has led to this worry and anxiety and this double-mindedness. Now, I think if we were to get down to the core of it, and I'm not going to go through examples, so don't worry about it. But let's just... Let's just say that we were all in a place where we were tired of living this distracted life, you know, where, where our singular focus is on something other than the Lord. Let's say that we're all just fed up with it. And let's say that we were to sit down, we were to process through this exact thing. Like you, let's say you were to sit down with someone else, all right? After, after prayerfully like doing, doing so with the Lord, you were to sit down with someone and they were to ask you those simple questions. What are you flipping out about? Why do you think that is? What are you afraid of? Where, where is that fear coming from? What are you believing that's not true? Let's say there's like four levels to it. If you were to, to let the Lord walk you through that or, help, or someone maybe help you if, if that kind of weirds you out or whatever, uh, I think if you were to get down to that core deal, I think there are two big false beliefs where that stuff comes from. One of them, one of them is that He is not enough. You know, that he's, he's just not enough. And the other one is that you think you know better than him. 
You think you know more. You think you're right. So take that college student example. From the idea that he's not enough and you think you know better launches all this other stuff. Because you think you know what the economy is going to do. And you think you know what your career path is going to be. And you don't think that he really is enough for you to be joyful and content as a grown-up. That you think your life has to look a certain way and it doesn't really matter what he thinks because you kind of know a little bit more. And even though the Bible says that he is enough, you're like, I don't really know about all that. And so at the base of our, un- at the base of our anxieties and worries, there's, there's it's an issue of what we're believing to be true. And no matter how good or sinful your reasons are, you know. So if you're distracted, if you're distracted by being a drug dealer, okay, there's sin there, all right. If you're distracted by being a parent, that's good. That's a good thing, right? If being a parent is leading you to worry and anxiety and flip out all the time, trace it back down and somewhere there's some form of, of wrong belief happening. And somewhere at the core of that, whether it's on the good extreme or the sinful extreme, down at the bottom, they both start in the same place. You're believing something that's incorrect. When you describe someone who thinks they know better than God and that he's not enough, you're essentially describing idolatry. That's what an idol is. You're saying, no, God can't make me happy. This person or this thing or this, this life or whatever, that will make me happy. He says that it's him, but I know better than him. I know that he's not enough, that this is what I need. And so I'm going to flip out and worry and stress and control everything until that reality happens. And the thing is, I think it's C.S. Lewis that said it, but it was somebody really smart. said that idols always break the hearts of their worshipers every single time. And Jesus has come to cleanse us of all unrighteousness and to show us why they're called false idols. It's, it's a lie. It's a joke. It's empty. Every single one of those things is empty. And if there's a part of us that has somehow come to believe in some area of life or in all of life that He isn't enough and that we know better than Him, Jesus came to cleanse us from that way of thinking. That's what He wants to do. And I know that there are, are different kinds of anxieties that surface in a room like this. And for some, like prayerfully like letting Jesus walk us through this stuff and uproot those wrong beliefs, for some, uh, that's going to be like a like five-second fix. Like some of you are going gonna to walk out of here tonight, and you're going to be less worried because that's going to happen. And for others, their things are more deeply rooted. And so I don't mean to sit here and say, like, oh, it's just a simple fix for everybody. It's not a simple fix for everybody, but it's an infinitely simple fix for the Lord. Now, he, can, he can do this in every heart in this place, no matter how much you are plagued by anxiety and struggle with worry, no matter how double-minded you feel like you are. He, it's fixable. For some, it's going to be a little more work than for others. But Jesus loves that kind of work. That's what he came to do. Because it's healing, and it's restoration, and it's the gospel being worked out in us. So that's Martha. That's in our case study. That's Martha. She's come to believe that, that failure at this, in this situation, this circumstance, 
implies some really, really big things. Instead of believing that Jesus is enough, she thinks that she knows better, and she's going to take control of the situation. And then, of course, it makes her mad. And she decides to tell Jesus, and Jesus lovingly puts her in her place. And so, so what do, how do we do this? You know, how do we move forward in this? Well, let's look at, look at Mary. Look at what he says. Um, well, let's look at Mary, first of all. Um, verse 40. I'm sorry, verse 39. Martha, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Okay? She sat at his feet and listened to his teaching. Now, that, at, at first glance, it kind of seems just like a, maybe like a, I don't know, a, kind of a random detail, you know? Like, I don't know, there's like in our community group uh, every Monday, like people are sitting, like sitting on the ground because there aren't enough places to sit, you know? So is that coincidence that she was seated at his feet? No. When a rabbi would teach, he would sit down. That was the posture of teaching. Nowadays, preachers, we stand up. Rabbis, they would sit down. And when they sat down, their disciples would sit at their feet and soak up every single thing that was being said. So she was seated at his feet because she was identifying herself as one of the disciples of Jesus. That's, that's the physical posture of learning from a rabbi in that setting. She was listening to what he had to say, and she was soaking up what he had to say. And Jesus says of her, verse 42, says, One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. She's chosen the good portion. They didn't run out of space. They didn't run out of chairs, you know. She didn't get, like, just kind of sandwiched in the, the room and just kind of had to sit by at his feet. No, she chose, she chose that in that moment. And one thing that tells us is that we don't accidentally uh, stumble out of idolatry. And we choose it, and we choose the good portion. And that's an, an interesting term, uh, and I tried to do some research on it, and uh, you know, found a little bit of stuff or whatever. But because uh, that use of terminology is interesting, and you find it a lot in the Old Testament about God being uh, their portion. It says in Deuteronomy, I think thirty-two, that we are we are God's portion. So what does that What does that mean? You know, well, if you think of it, I mean. Think of it in whatever context you want, that if, if uh, someone's parents pass away and the inheritance comes and you get your inheritance, like that's your portion. That's, what's, that's your lot. That's what's been handed to you. Like this is, this is yours. When God took Israel and split them into tribes and uh, gave them all like plots of land, like that was their portion. God said, I want you to, I want you to have this space. You know, this is... This is for you. If you're going through a serving line of food and someone like, and they plop down mashed potatoes on your plate, like that's your portion. They want you to have just that much right there. And so Jesus says she has chosen the good portion. 
That's essentially like what he's saying is like she's made a decision that, that this is enough. That sitting at my feet and listening to my teaching, that taking the posture and the attitude and the vision of one of my disciples, that she's chosen and said that this is enough. This is my portion. This is what has been handed to me. This is the opportunity that I have, and I'm going to soak it up. So she's chosen the good portion. And so why, why? I mean, if we were to do that same deal of, of tracing down the levels, why did, why did Mary choose the right portion? Well, the, with anxiety, we go to fear, but there's obviously not, there's no fear here in this situation. So I think she chose the good portion. I think we just ultimately had to go down to the launching point of belief, that she was believing that Jesus was the good portion and that he knew best. She didn't think that she knew better than him. She did believe that he was enough. And that launched her into sitting at his feet. And essentially being like, you know what? There's really nothing else that matters in this moment. Nothing matters more than this in this situation. So Martha's set of beliefs led her to be afraid and anxious and worried and ultimately angry. And Mary's set of beliefs led her to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, that's the good portion for your choosing. So our belief and what we're, what we're Truly believing in, like, in, in all these areas of life, what we really believe to be true, that pushes us forward. And so, like anything else, if, if the fruit that is being uh, produced in your life is not something that you want, then you just trace it back down and see where, that, where is that coming from. And so a part of the goodness of Jesus is that he's able to say, hey, you know how you're, you're completely focused on this, you're completely obsessed with this, you're distracted, you're like whatever, and, and you, you know you hate that about your life? I'll show you where that's coming from. And I'll take that wrong belief and I'll rip it out by the roots. And I'll show you what correct thinking and belief looks like. Like I'll... I'll change that in you. The church word for that is progressive sanctification. We talk about that a lot here on Sundays. That, that we're progressively becoming more and more and more and more who God made us to be. And so some of, some of us in this room, you're sitting here tonight and you're able to, to look back on the journey that you've been on and you say, man, there was a time when what happened the other day would have compl- sent me completely over the edge. But it didn't. I mean, it still kind of weirded me out, but not like it used to would have. And the reason why is because the idolatry that was once there has been fractured and started to crumble and fall apart. You started to realize that I don't know better than God, and Jesus is enough. And this isn't about, this isn't about like, uh, we need to be having more quiet times. You know, that's, that's not what this is. 
I think it's about us continually choosing the good portion in the Lord, having that posture of mind and heart where we're looking to Him, we're saying, look, I don't have a clue how to do this. You know, like, I, don't know, I don't know how to deal with, with the stresses of money or school or family or uh, responsibilities as a spouse. I don't know how to deal with work. I don't know how to deal with decisions. I don't know how to deal with, with watching the news and seeing the, what's going on in our world. I don't know how to deal with the fractured relationships that I have and the, the wounds that I've come out of. I don't know how to deal with all that stuff. And so, I don't know how to do that. But I want to believe that you are enough. And that you know better than I. And so I'm going to choose the good portion. Which is to be seated at your feet and say, what do you want to, how do, what do you want to speak into this? What do, you, what do you have to say to this? What do I need to know? What am I believing that's wrong, that's false? And I think our good and beautiful Savior has this really gentle way of saying, well, it's kind of an idolatry issue. You kind of idolize money. You kind of idolize the American dream. You kind of idolize work. You kind of idolize your reputation. You kind of idolize you know, what everybody thinks about you. You kind of made an idol out of keeping everybody happy. You kind of made an idol out of your husband. You kind of made an idol out of your wife. I made an idol out of your kid. Kind of made an idol out of yourself. But it doesn't have to stay that way. And I'm willing to teach you and prove to you that I know better and that I'm enough. So will you just be teachable and humble? Will you be confessional? Will you be willing to make some changes? Will you be willing to slow down? Will you be willing to adjust your schedule accordingly? Will you be willing to live sacrificially? Will you be willing to deny yourself, take up your cross every day, just follow me? Are you willing to see those things as idols? Are you willing to see that I am the good portion and those things are not? Are you willing to see that I'm not an abusive father? Are you willing to see me as the good shepherd? And because of who I am, you you will not want. Will you believe that I have green pastures ahead of you? Will you believe that quiet waters? Will you believe that even though that path of righteousness for my namesake may take you through the darkest that life has to offer, that I'm with you and I'm faithful and I'm steady. Will you let me just be open to the fact that my goodness and my mercy are going to pursue you all the days of your life, that I'm going to, I'm going to stalk you with that. I'm going to hunt you down and pummel you with love and grace and mercy or You believe that your cup really does run over even if your bank account may not indicate it. And even if, even if your circumstances are kind of weird, will you, will you buy into the fact that the future for you is with me forever? That you'll dwell in my house as one of my kids forever? Will you just believe me when I tell you that 
this world is completely broken, but I've come to fix it, and I'm going to make it all new. Will you believe I'm not lying to you when I tell you that you're more valuable than a bird and a flower? You know? You believe me that if you seek me, you'll find me? Will you just, just hear me out? You seek me, you'll find me. And when you structure your life in such a way that you go into your room and you close the door and you talk to your Father who's in heaven that I'll hear you and respond to you, that I already know what you need before you ask, but I really want you to ask me because because that's the relationship that we're going for here, you know, that you were made to know me and to love me forever. And then as just ridiculous as life seems at this point, it's all going to be fine because I'm enough, you know, because I really do know what I'm doing. We believe that I really have been where you are, and I really have been tempted in every way like you, but without sin. Like, I know how to get through this, and do you believe that I'll lead you? And so, when I tell you to approach the throne of grace boldly and confidently, that you'll find mercy and receive grace in your time of need, that I'm not just full of it, like, would you just, just listen to Just believe it. Will you just sit at my feet and just believe me? That's it. When we do that, you look at an idol and you're like, why in the world would I idolize money or status or life? Why, even would, I, why would I make an idol out of my spouse or my kids? Why would, I, why would any of that stuff, why would I look to any of those things when I have the creator of the universe looking at me and saying, I'm the good portion. You want some? And when, we, when we're there and, you're, and you, just, you feel that shalom that comes, you're like, yeah, like I, I think those things are true. Like I think all that Bible that just, all that, I think that's, that's real. And there's a shalom that comes over us, and there's no fear coming out of that. There's just goodness. And from that, I think our good Savior says, now let me, let me show you how, let me show you the right way to think about school. Let me show you the right way to think about money and the economy and the job market. And let me show you the right way to think about your spouse. Let me show you the right way to think about your kids Show the, the right way to think about the wounds that you've been through, the relationships that are divided. Let me, I'll, I'll step you through it. But, but first, you've got to believe that I know what I'm doing and that I'm enough. And you don't need those things, that those things are all gifts that I want you to have, and I want you to have them to play the appropriate role in your life they're supposed to play. So we choose the good portion. Mary chose it. You know what Jesus says right there in that last verse? Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. How beautiful is that? So no, she made the right choice and that's not getting undone. So like I said, it's not about 
quiet times and whatever. It's about just real time with the Lord. It's not about checking things off a to-do list. It's about where, where is our mind, where is our heart in relation to Him? And are we going to choose the good portion? And I think we can choose a good portion as we're driving and as we're at work and at school and hanging out with people and whatever. I think choosing the good portion is that's, a, that's not a, a moment in time. That's a lifestyle that He's shaping in us. For the starting tomorrow, for the next 30 days, we're going to be, as a church, reading about abiding in Christ. And I think He has a lot for us to learn. Because choosing the good portion can be just a description of your entire life. And I believe that that's what the abundant life in Christ is. And so I don't, you know, I never know where this stuff lands for every individual. And to be honest, I'm not 100% sure where it lands for me. But now I know it's up to me to be responsible with whatever it is that he's drawn out for me. And it's the same thing for you. And so I'm not, you know, if you've ever been here before, we don't really try to coax you into some sort of calculated response. Uh, but we are going to push you to respond somehow. And so let's just be responsible stewards with whatever it is. Let me pray for us right now. Jesus, I am I'm grateful for, for the Scriptures and the beautiful role that they play in our lives and how you, you empower those words. It's more than just a book because it's living and active because you make it that way. I'm thankful, God, for the challenge that is there because a lot of us, we identify with Martha a lot more than we do Mary. Like she's, she's the peculiar one in the story. But she's the one that you are making us into. You're making us into the kind of people that choose the good portion on purpose because we believe that that really is enough. We believe that you are everything you've said you are. Lord, we just need your help. We need your help to know what to do with this stuff. So, in the next just few minutes, Lord, we just ask that you would convey to us whatever it is Give us some something. And we just kind of just we press into you. And uh, we wait. As we, as we sing this next song, we're going to stay seated, which is not normal for us, but 
if that's the posture of those who've chosen the good portion, then maybe this is the maybe this is exactly what we need to do, and this is the exact song that we should sing as a prayer. And so we're going to stay seated. And if you don't know what choosing the good portion is, then maybe that's just sitting down and singing this for right now. And so let's sing this as a prayer, as a response uh, together.